right. Well, let's uh, let's turn our heart and our attention to the Word of God, and uh, I want to conclude this series that I began a few weeks ago. And the title of the series is "Liar, Liar," and uh, we've been uh, looking at this idea of unmasking Satan's lies. And in other words, what we're doing is we're telling the truth about his lies. And uh, Satan comes to us, and sometimes uh, he gets into our head with some deceptions. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've talked about the, the truth lie where Satan will tell us that we don't need God's word, that God's word is not important for us. You don't need to believe God's word. You don't need to build your life on God's word. You just figure out life for yourself. Build your own foundation your way. And uh, look around you. How has that worked for us? Not very well. And uh, so we need to build our lives on God's word. Satan will lie to us about the truth. He will lie to us about our identity. He'll tell us that you are not who God says you are. And he gets into our head, and he really, he really tries to grapple with us over this. And sometimes we start listening to those lies, and we come to church, and we sing the songs, and we go out. But we, we don't really believe who we really are a lot of times. And uh, it has destructive consequences in the way that we live our lives. And so uh, he will lie to, to us about our identity. Last week we talked about the battle lie or the personal struggle lie. He tries to tell us you're going to lose this battle. You're not going to win this battle that you've been facing in your life. You're not going to overcome this addiction. You're not going to be able to get through this crisis in your marriage. You're going to lose this one. And uh, that's a lie. Because God, like the the prophet Elisha said, he he said, Lord, I pray that you'd open the eyes of my servant that he could see that those who are for us are greater than those who are for them. Hallelujah. God is on your side. When God is on your side, you're you're, you're on the winning team. Amen. Today, uh, this is, uh, I think, an equally insidious lie. May not seem like that big of a deal, but I think it's really important that Satan will come to us and he will lie to us and tell us that you don't need the church. You don't need the church. You can figure this out for yourself. You got you, you and Jesus got a good thing going. That's all you need. And it's a lie. And this strikes right at the heart of our significance and our purpose as the people of God in the earth. And if he can get us, and if he can snatch us away and out of and away from the body of Christ, he starts winning in some places. And so today we're going to talk about this. I want to come from a familiar portion of Scripture just to kind of launch us off here today. Jesus said in Matthew Chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, and I also say to you that you are Peter, come on, (laughs) pull it together, Tim, you are Peter, in fact, put your name right there, and I say to you that you are Tim, everybody say out loud your name when I say that, and I say to you that you are Tim, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he goes on and he says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth 
will be loosed in heaven. So we know that Jesus said that he came to redeem a people to himself, a people through whom and with whom he could establish his kingdom rule in the earth. He didn't just come to save us from the pits of hell. Aren't you glad that you're not going to hell because you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? But that wasn't the end of the story. Really what he came to do was redeem a people to walk with him and to establish his kingdom rule and authority and power in the earth. I thank God for heaven someday. But right now we're living here to bring heaven to earth. Amen. And so Jesus says, I, I, I've redeemed a people. And, and these redeemed people, he calls his church. And he said, I'm going I'm to empower you. I'm going to build you to do what I've been doing. And you know what? Satan couldn't stop Jesus when he was on earth. And, and Satan can't stop us now. Amen. So Lord, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for what you've been doing over these last few days. Holy Spirit, drop the nuggets of truth in our heart that we need to hear today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in Matthew chapter 12, there's a story about Jesus just healing all kinds of people who are sick with diseases and casting out devils. And one day he casts out a demoni- uh, a person who is demonized by an evil spirit that made the person both blind and mute. And the people saw Jesus cast these devils out and these demons out of individuals. And they started to connect the dots and they started to say, you know what, this could be the son of David. This could be the Messiah. And this enraged the Pharisees. And the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because they could see that the people were being swayed by the power of God working through Jesus. And so they, they were plotting in some way to kill him, but they, when they saw what was going on and how the people were being drawn to Jesus, they started spreading this really terrible lie about Jesus. And they were starting to say that he's, he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus kind of exposed their ignorance. He said, he said um, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Why would Satan possess a person, make them blind and dumb, unable to talk, and then go turn around and cast himself out of that person? That doesn't make sense. And so a kingdom divided cannot stand. And I think Satan kind of has inverted that teaching of Jesus and twisted it to his own advantage where it concerns the body of Christ today. Satan knows a lot of times what we forget. That a kingdom divided cannot stand. And so what he's doing is working overtime to bring lies into the hearts and minds of people about their place and about the church and about their place in the church and the local assembly and the body of Christ. And he's trying to pick us apart and to pull us away from one another, to pull us away, to, to divide us in the church and then to divide us away from the church. Because he knows that if we're together and we know who we are in Christ, that we're more dangerous, that there's, a, there's authority and there's power in the numbers of people that come together. And so he wants to rip us apart and tear us apart, and he gets to us one person at a time. Because he knows 
the strength that we have in the unity of Christ. Amen. So Satan is really working overtime to bring this lie into us that, that you don't really need church. You don't need to be a part of the church. And we're talking about the church in the New Testament. The, the bulk of the times when the Bible talks about the church is talking about a local assembly of people that are coming together in the authority of Jesus' name, learning, loving, living life together to make an impact in the world around them. It also speaks of the church universal, but it also largely speaks to the church local. And so we're gonna, when, you, when we talk about this today, we need to keep this in mind. Now, in a moment, I want to talk about how we can put Satan under our feet. We're going to talk about how to crush Satan. How many, come on, how many want to be a, a Satan-crushing church? We want to put him under our feet, right? So in a moment, I'm going to get to that, but I first of all want to talk about Satan's deception in the church. Now, again, Satan understands the power of the church, I think, sometimes more than we understand the power of the church. So he's going to work overtime to deceive us into minimizing and trivializing the importance of the church in our lives, our place of membership in it, our place of ministry in it, our mission about the church. He's going to try to weaken our resolve to be fully engaged in the body of Christ. Remember, our first introduction to, the, to Satan way back in the book of Genesis is that he's a Sneaky, cunning, crafty serpent, more crafty than all the beasts of the field. And this is what Paul said, and he warned us as the church. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we don't want to be outwitted by Satan, for we are not unaware of his schemes. He is up to absolutely no good. Amen. And he's up to no good in the church. It's not just the people that live in darkness. It's the people that carry the light. And Paul's warning the Christians. He said, let's not get caught off guard. The enemy is out. He's crafty. He's scheming. He's, he's got devices and he's trying to, and in many ways, he, try, he doesn't want you to know who you really are. He doesn't want you to build your life on God's word. He doesn't want you to win the battles that you're facing. And he doesn't want you to be the church. Amen. I'll stop yelling now. No, I won't. These lies of the enemy are like a, a hook. Have you ever seen a fish hook? Not only is there a hook, a sharp edge, but there's a barb. And the hook gets you, but the barb keeps the hook in. And Satan's lies are like a hook, but they come with the barb of your own personal experience. And it hurt and it hooks you. And it and it can keep you if you don't deal with it. And so this is what I want to talk about. Satan will come to you and say something like this. He'll say, You don't need the church. You are the church. How many of you know that some of uh, a lot of Satan's lies have a a lot of truth in them? You are the church all by yourself, in and of yourself, because we know that church is not something you do. Church is who you are. It's not, it's not all wrapped up in my performance. It's wrapped up in who I've been made to be through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
But the enemy will come in and say, you know, you don't really need to be involved. You don't really need to be engaged. You don't need to really be a part of that because you already are the church. And it's a subtle way of Satan breeding or putting within us his pride, saying, church is for people who kind of need that. I don't really need it. I kind of got my act together. Amen. Turn to, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't, I don't think that's true of you. Go ahead and tell him that. <laughs> you know what he's trying to do? He wants to isolate us into a kind of Lone Ranger Christianity. That we can do this in our own strength and in our own power. And what happens subtly as a result of that is that we develop this Elijah complex where we can do great things for God, but we almost get, we, we just kind of get overwhelmed because we're trying to do all of this in our own strength. And eventually we think that we're the only one left that's really got it all together and doing the right stuff. And we end up out there in some cave somewhere thinking, it's just me, it's just me and you, God. And the Lord says to Elijah, there's 7,000 other people who haven't bowed their knee. You need to get back in church. Amen. So Satan will tell you, you don't need the church. You are the church. He'll also say, you don't need the church. It's just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. People get really disillusioned with what's going on in the church because how many of you know that there are judgmental people in the church? Not you, of course, right? Or how about he'll get them focused on the moral failure of people in the church. Every once in a while, something pops up in the news. And we see it again. And it disillusions us. And it discourages us. And people will say, it's just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And there are some bad apples in the church. Amen. Not, not, not to mix metaphors, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because there are some bad apples. Amen. Let me just say this. You can't get rid of the church without also getting rid of Jesus. Because for better, for worse, the church is the bride of Christ. For better, for worse. And you try to get rid of the church, you're getting rid of Jesus. And I want to remind you, there are only four books in the New Testament that talk about what Jesus said and what he did. But the rest of the New Testament, 23 other books, talk about who we are and what we do in light of what Jesus did for us. And so, we can look at the flaws of the church and decide, I'm not going to be a part of that. But you're getting rid of Jesus because the church is his bride. And, um, you know, Paul said that he's coming back after a church without spot or without wrinkle. So just climb up onto the ironing board because he's got, he's got some wrinkles he's got to deal with. Amen. Just get in the tub. He's, gonna, he's got to scrub behind the ears. You can look at everybody else and say they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, 
Get on board. Amen. And like that, here's another thing. He'll say, you don't need the church. He says, uh, they're just going to hurt you anyway. This person feels misused by the church. This, tr- this person feels mistreated by the church. This person got burned out in the church. And so they decided that the church is a place where you go and get hurt. And, okay, yeah. I'm getting there. Amen. Praise God. And guess what? You're going to get hurt. But guess what? You're probably going to hurt somebody. Well, I'm only going to go to a church that I know is never going to hurt me. That's like saying, I'm only going to get married to the person who won't hurt me. You're going to be single the rest of your life. Because you're going to get hurt in church. Because we're a bunch of imperfect people who are on this road becoming more like. We're on a journey from one stage of glory to another stage of glory. And I'm not in that, that full heavenly glory yet but I'm on that journey and that's a I can say like Paul for all of us that Paul said I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ guess what that day ain't here yet so you're 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 being ironed out and scrubbed out amen so Satan will get us to look at people And, you know, the church is to be a place where iron sharpens iron. That's what the church is about. You got some rough edges. You got some dull places. And, you know, there is actually, there is actually growth in friction and in tension. But as soon as we feel friction and tension, we want to get out. Instead of work it through. Satan will tell you. You don't need church. You have nothing significant to offer them. This is where Satan will get into our head. You know, have you ever heard people say, well, I can't go to church. If I go to church, the the roof is going to fall in on me. And uh, basically, there are people that never go and they never become a part of the church because they feel too sinful and too unworthy. Then there are other people that are a part of the church. They maybe attend church, but they don't really become involved in the church, and eventually they drift away and fall away from the house of God and the people of God. And the reason why is because they were never involved, and the reason why they were never involved is because they didn't think that they were good enough, holy enough, gifted enough, talented enough. They didn't think they had anything to offer. And they just sat there, and when you just sit there, when you come in and you soak but you don't get squeezed out in ministry, you sour. And then eventually, because you're not engaged, eventually you're going to get bored and you're just going to go off. And you may go to heaven, but you're not a part of the heavenly host of what God is doing in the earth. And so, it's important to know that You have something significant to offer because you were created in the image and after the likeness of God. 
And when Jesus came, he renewed and restored and revived that fallen nature that used to possess your soul. And now the old is gone. The new has come. Amen. You are significant. Amen. Here's another thing Satan will try to get into our head. He says, he'll say, you don't need the church. You've got more important things to do. People will say, church is important, but so is my family, so is my children, so are my pursuits, so are my loves, so are my desires. And we get so many irons in the fire that eventually we start losing track of priorities and what's important, what's most important. Are you out there? Don't leave me now. And we almost... Treat churches like the people of God and the gathering and the called together ones and the mission and the plan and the ministry is, well, if I got time. In the last three or four decades, the church has been steadily declining in attenders and engagers and involvers. And while the church has experienced this massive decline, I'm not trying to be negative, but just hang with me here for a moment. While the church has been experiencing this massive decline, there has also been a shift in, in, a, in, a, in our culture in values and what we value. And in the process of this decline and the shifting values of our culture, it's, a, it's crept into the church where our values have gotten kind of topsy-turvy. And the result of that is that people now, today, are less there than they used to be. It used to be that you were considered a faithful attender at a church and involved when you showed up once or twice a week. I grew up in church where it was three times a week at least. <laughs> okay, so I'm not, that's not a holier than thou. I'm just telling you that's the way it was. But you were considered very faithful. Now it's you're very faithful if it's once or twice a month. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different time and a different culture. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what does Jesus want? What did Jesus plan? No judgment here. Not trying to make people feel bad. But to really evaluate what's in our heart and why that's there. Because... We are the church of the living God, living stones built one upon another to be alive and vibrant and together and focused and missional, moving forward and not letting the lie of the enemy get in our head and tell us, well, church is important, but so are you, and so is what you want to do, and so is whatever. You, you fill in the blank, wherever that may be. I'm going to tell you something. When, when Satan gets in our head like this, this can be very destructive because he knows a kingdom divided cannot stand. And if he can break down the church globally, he's going to do it locally. And he starts individually. And this is why I want to come now to this idea. I want to, I want to talk about Satan's defeat by the church or through the church. I want to remind us what 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says. 
Peter writes and he says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family, the body of Christ, the church of believers all over the world are going through what you're going through. They're facing the same temptations, the same deceptions, the same lies that every one of us are. So what do we do? We've got to stay alert. Be aware of what he's up to and how he's trying to divide us in the church and divide us away from the church. It's a plan. It's a battle maneuver. It's a big lie, something we need to be on guard of and stay alert to. Because our enemy... He's prowling. He's on the prowl. Now, how many are glad that the, the power of Satan was defanged at the cross? Amen. And he was defeated at the cross. But he is still free to roam. And he's looking for any inroad into anyone's life where possible to take us out. Now, I told you yesterday I showed up at 10 o'clock. I thought it was 9 o'clock. But I made it just in time to hear this great quote by JP, and I wrote it down. And this is quotable, and you, they changed the name of uh, Twitter, right? Is it, is it Xable? I don't even know. Here's what he said. He said, the enemy isn't after the pack, but he's after those who forgot they are a part of the pack. I wrote that right down. That was good. The enemy isn't after the flock. He's after the persons in the flock who forget who they really are. Such an insightful idea because that's what he's doing. He's looking. He's roaming. He's prowling. He's looking for who is wounded over church. He's looking for those who don't think they need church in their pride and their isolation. He's looking for those who have been uh, burned out in church. And he sees them alone. And that's where he prowls. That's, he, listen, he's been defamed, but he can still get in your head. And that's all he needs to do. And then he just takes you right out of the game. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? Jesus is actively building his church. He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now Now listen, and I'm going to give you keys. And you have the keys. Keys represent authority, and they represent responsibility too. He says, I'm going to give you the keys, and whatever you bind will be bound, and whatever you loose will be loosed. And we often think of that scripture as in the form of prayer, like, I bind the devil, you know. I loose the will of God. And it can be utilized in prayer, but I want to tell you something else. It's also utilized in practical, everyday, living it out in your own life. Amen. Speaking of binding and loosing, you know how many Pentecostals it takes to change a light bulb? It takes ten. One to change the light bulb and nine to bind the 
the powers of darkness. <laughs> Little charismatic humor. Almost didn't get it out. So, so here's how you bind and loose as the church. Satan gets in your head and says, you don't need church. You're too good for that. You're not good enough for it. Whatever. He gets in our head. So what do I do? How do I combat that? How do I put him under my feet? Oh, by the way, Sherry, bring up Romans chapter 12, or uh, 16, verse 20. Is that up there? Read this out loud and aloud with me. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Notice that word. And the God of peace, watch the words, God will crush Satan under your feet. So yes, it is the power of God, but you and I got to work in cooperation with him. I got to take the steps. I got to take the, I got to make the action. I got to step into it and God will give me the victory. Amen. And so let's be a Satan crushing church today. How do we do that? This is, some of these are going to be so practical, you're going to be like yawning your way through this. Number one, attend church regularly. Is that not spiritual enough? Is that too practical? Show up to the house of God. Even when JP and Michaela don't lead anymore, they're not here. Show up. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves uh, together, as is the manner or is the habit, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. How many of you feel like we're in the end times? I mean, with everything that's going on, it looks like the day is approaching. It feels like the day is approaching. You know what he says? Now's not the time to run off and to kind of close yourself off. Now's the time to come together. Now's the time to be together. And here's how he starts it. It isn't just about attending church, showing up to church. It's about coming here for you, not for me. He said in verse 24, and let us consider one another. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with what I get from it. It starts from what I can help others get from it. That's what church is really all about. That's what the fellowship of believers is all about. That's why we come together. It isn't a, if they sing my favorite songs or if he preaches a good message. It's about what can I do to help my friend, my brother, my sister go on in Jesus. Amen. That's what it's about. But you know, that can't happen if I'm not there. It can't happen if I'm not here. Church isn't about me. It's about we. So church needs to be, well, quite frankly, it just needs to be on your list of priorities. Amen. I love how the church started in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. First description says, they devoted themselves they devoted themselves. Stop right there. They devoted themselves. They were devoted. 
to what? The apostles' teaching, the word of God, and to fellowship, loving one another, and to breaking of bread, living their life under the lordship of Jesus, making it all about Jesus, and to prayers. Those were the elements. Those were the big four. The word of God, loving one another, honoring and Jesus' lordship in their life, and making sure they pray their way through to heaven. Amen. And so, we need to be devoted. Attend regularly. Just show up. And every time you show up, you put a little grind in the head of the devil. Amen. Amen. And then number two, we need to love one another deeply. Jesus said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. How many know there's power in love? Is this okay? We're putting putting the devil under our feet. This is binding and loosing. I'm binding the powers of darkness, and I'm loosing the will of God. When I make a choice, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to love like Jesus loves I'm going to love the way Jesus loved me. I'm going to love others. How does that, what does that look like? Paul kind of expounds on that concept, and he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, he said, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor. Everybody say, in honor. Show the honor. Show the highest respect of other people giving preference to one another. It's not about me. It's about you and me. It's about us together. And so we come here. We show up here. We participate here because we are part of something bigger than what goes on here. We're part of this global movement of God because the church is the movement of the advancement of God's kingdom in the earth today. And so when we come together, when we're there And we're loving one another. We're giving momentum to the body of Christ. Amen. We're giving momentum. People are experiencing. And what did Jesus say? All men will know. You're mine. By your love. Amen. Tell somebody, turn to them and tell them, I love you anyway. Go ahead and tell them that. Paul, speaking of getting hurt in church, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. I don't know if it's up there. It doesn't look like it is. But if you're going to love deeply, you've got you to gotta forgive quickly. You've got to forgive on spot. Well, I want to be mad. You, every once in a while, Julie and I would get in an argument. And we would try to make up. I know, it seems weird. It's hard to believe, can you imagine, when you look at me? Um, but it's amazing how sometimes you want to be mad for just a little bit. What, what's that? It's the devil is what it is. He's got in your head. You forgive me? Well, maybe. Just want to hold on. And you know we got a, a bunch of hanger-on of Christians. 
hanging on to their wounds and their offenses. Just want to be mad. And um, it, it hinders the church. It hinders the movement of the body of Christ. Then, so we need to attend regularly, love deeply. Then we need to serve one another faithfully. Everybody say serve. It's your serve. It's your serve. That's what you, you and I are here to serve. Amen. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Notice the terminology. Freedom serving. You're free to serve. And you serve best when you know you're free. See, we try to guilt people into serving, which is to our own detriment. And, and then people become suspicious of us because we're trying to guilt them into it. But Paul says, listen, you're free. Serve. Because in the freedom of your service, you're helping to set other people free and to see this, how this thing works. And how did Jesus demonstrate this? On the night that he was going to be betrayed and Judas was still in the room, he takes off his robe, he wraps himself in a servant's garb, he gets down on the ground and he washes every one of their feet, including Judas, who in a few moments will leave and exit the room and go and betray him for just a handful of silver. And Jesus said to his disciples, you see what I've done? Just remember this, that a servant is not greater than his master. You see me do this? This is what you do. This is how it works. This is how the kingdom of God works. You're saved, you're delivered, you're gifted, you're wonderful, but you're a servant. Amen. Come on, smile at me out there. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a mean person. You're here to serve. And so I love how Paul talks to us. He, one of the best, the, his, his most favorite expression and illustration of service is to understand that we're a body. And it is about being subservient. It's about being joined together and every joint supplies and every joint works together to make the other part better. Greater, more effective. It isn't about, oh, I got to do this and it's such a drudgery. It's about being who you are, being the gift that you are to the body of Christ. And in that place, it just makes the body function. But don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. It's service. It's ministry. And that's what the word serve means. It just means to minister. Amen. Which brings me then to this other idea and i got to move along quickly, pray for me, that we need to grow intentionally. If we're going to be the body of Christ, every one of us have got to keep growing. And, in your, and as the church and in the church, that's, that's the way you keep growing. Paul said in Ephesians 4, I just referred to this, but here's what he said. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men 
in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Let's not be like a little child who is easily tricked and deceived by somebody who's kind of playing with their mind. Let's grow up mentally and spiritually, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, and from the whole body joined together and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So he says, here's how you grow. Here's how you grow up. Here's how you intentionally grow. Speak the truth in love. You need the truth of God's word. You need to grow up into Jesus. Listen, you're not trying to become like me or anybody else in the room. You're trying to become like Jesus. Come on. And then he says, how this works is through the body by what every joint supplies. Whatever, gift, whatever gifted member is around you, that person is there for your benefit, and that, that person is going to help you grow. Amen. Even the mean one. And then Katie, if you would come up, and I got one more. Here's what we do. Here's how we put Satan under our feet. We All of us need to dream radically. I love how the church started on the day of Pentecost, and I love how Peter drew out of the Old Testament a very important scripture in the birthing of the church. At the birthing of the church, he said in Acts 2.17, and he's quoting out of the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. All flesh is in the room. All flesh is right here, right now. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The young people. In the Old Testament, God's spirit came on certain individuals at certain times for certain events. And mostly they were a lot of older people. Every once in a while, a young one would come up like a Samuel or a David, but they're usually there. But your young people, your little ones are going to hear God and they're going to speak God into their culture and into their world. And then he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. You know what that means to me? You're never too old to dream. You're never past the point where you can get a dream, and get a vision, and hear God. And I want to tell you something. If the church would catch this, that it isn't about showing up on Sunday. It isn't about going, jumping through the hoops of just getting involved in this ministry and that ministry. But everybody understanding, yes, be there. Yes, serve there. Yes, love there. But yes, dream there. Be people who see what God sees and see into our culture and into Butte and all southwest Montana and to see into our world which feels like it's really falling apart. But listen, pay attention to the news less and get into the good news more. Start living it out. Amen. Because Satan knows if he can get in our head, you don't need church. Figure it out for yourself. Just do your own thing. There's a bunch of people there. They don't like you. They don't really appreciate you anyway. That's a lie. It's a destructive lie. Let's all stand together.
Hmm. Let's have the ministry team come. They're going to come and there's going to be some folks here that they're going to be way more than willing to pray with you and to meet you at whatever place you are in your life. If we talked about anything today that pricked your heart and you don't know what to do with it or you want to pray about it or you, or you got some other issue in your life and you just are carrying a burden and you need prayer, you can come this way. I'm making myself available in case there's more. And you can pray. If you've been hurt in church, if you've been burned out in church, if you've been disillusioned by church, maybe what needs to happen today is to come and to lay that burden down. If you need prayer about that. You know, you may be here today and been wounded by leadership in church. I'd be more than willing to pray with you and to ask your forgiveness and to pray God's grace upon you. Because we don't want to carry those wounds. We don't want to carry those wounds. Amen. The Lord is here to heal today and to set the captive free. So can you just open your hands like this with me and let's just receive. Holy Spirit, we pray that just like on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Lord, we've already experienced the refreshing of your presence and worship and praise. Thank you for your word of promise and truth here today. Lord, we ask that you would fill us to overflowing with your spirit, God, and that you would give us a heart for the church. Give us a heart for the body of Christ. Give us a heart for one another. Lord, help us to be sober, to be vigilant, to be, a, to be alert to the enemy trying to rip and tear us apart. God, I just pray that you would give us vision and dreams and anointing, God, to hear from you and to see what you're doing and to speak it into existence. We love how you love us and we want to love you in return. We give ourselves to you fully. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everybody's